together this morning, where is God when I'm hurting? Where is God when I'm hurting? And this morning is going to be a little bit different than maybe some messages. I really would like to kind of tell a story more than preach a sermon, but I'm a preacher, so I'm sure that both is going to happen because I just won't be able to help myself. But I really would like to tell a story and let the Lord work, uh, work out the answers, if there are any, uh, to this question of where is God I'm hurting as we journey through this together. Uh, and so a little bit of background information for those of you who are new or don't know me as well as you wish you did. Um, 18 years ago in February, uh, I was married to a lady who wasn't Rebecca. Her name was Amanda, and uh, there was a tragic car accident, and everyone in the wreck was killed but me. And um, I was left after that with a broken hip and femur and finger and, and about died in the operating room and, and had to process all that after I started recovering enough to be able to think clearly and feel clearly there was a lot of hurt and grief and loss that I went through during the days, hours, and weeks to follow. And a few weeks after, I'm not going to get into all of that, but a few weeks after I was out of the hospital, I was starting to recover physically and emotionally and spiritually from all of this. Um, my aunt's second husband, his name was John, and we called him Uncle John, even though it was my great uncle, invited me to go fishing with him, which he'd never done before. And I was just like, oh, that's interesting. I mean, you know, so I just assumed that he knew that I was having a rough time and, and just wanted to get me away. And he said when he picked me up at like 3 o'clock in the morning, um, it would just be good to get away from everything. So we drove up to Detroit Lake, and, and from what I read on the news, that's not the best place to drink water out of right now or go fishing in. But that's where we went at the time. It was earlier in the season, and so I don't think there's many problems. We spent a couple hundred dollars on gas and bait. We drove uh, two and a half hours up into the mountains and caught nothing all day. And uh, if you like to fish, you know the feeling that you have when things don't go the way that you hoped. I'm really trusting our fishing trip next Saturday is going to be a lot better than getting skunked, or we will throw more than Dan overboard. By the time that I might even get thrown overboard, who knows? I already promised Nick that he was going to learn to swim in the ocean. You remember that, right? Okay, just making sure that you hadn't forgotten. But John and I are both pretty introverted by nature. We just we didn't say a whole lot, um, especially because we weren't catching anything. And so we didn't really talk a whole lot on the drive up there. We didn't really talk a whole lot during the hours we're out on the lake, except that our bait must have been cursed because what other option would there be? And I just had this feeling that there was something there to be said that hadn't yet been said. And so uh, just a couple minutes into the drive back after we got his boat hooked up and, and got down the steep, curvy part of the mountain where he could focus on driving and talking at the same time, he asked a question that I discovered had been burning on his heart since this whole experience had began. And he said, how could a loving God allow this kind of heartache and death, pain, and suffering in your life? And then he followed with his answer or his statement, I can't believe in a God who claims to be loving and kind doing something like what happened to you, to anyone. And I have to be honest that it shocked me. It, I was not expecting to have this kind of conversation after pretty much talking about nothing all day, 
to go from that to some of the hardest questions about life. He hadn't been involved in my life since the accident. He hadn't come to the memorial service or the funeral or visited me or sent me a card or a letter. All of this came out of nowhere. And I would come to find out later that he was just the beginning stages of his fourth divorce. And so there was a lot of hurt in his own life, and he was looking for answers, or at least looking for someone to share his anger at God. I don't know which. It kind of felt like a little bit of both. But I suddenly realized why he had asked me to go fishing with him. It wasn't to share the cost of gas or to share in the misery of having a fishless day, but it was to talk about the deep hurts that lie beneath the hearts of many of the people that we know and love. John seemed like a pretty together kind of guy. Didn't have a lot to say, didn't have a lot of problems that you would think of. Had a nice house, had a nice car, had a nice boat, had a nice job. You know, had lived a good, happy life, had a nice family as far as I knew, and yet all beneath the surface, there was these questions about hurt and God and pain that he couldn't get away from. I struggled in thinking of a response because that statement that he used is, I don't believe in a God who claims is kind of an uh, apologetics kind of statement. You know, you want to come with the three reasons why I believe God is divine and the four proofs of creation that are out there that you can use and maybe even use the Roman road to salvation to hope that he'd get saved as we drove down the road from Detroit Lake back into Salem. But I could tell in my heart that this wasn't a moment where he wanted to argue about the validity of the Bible. He didn't want to talk about really whether God was real or not. What he really was asking me, and I think we could interpose it into this time together, is where is God when you're hurting? Where is God when you're hurting? And so I just want to use a couple of thoughts that I shared with John on that ride home Uh, for us to think about this morning, just for a few minutes together before we share in a potluck together, um, where is God when we are hurting? I always say that I'm going to preach shorter on potluck day. I don't know if that creates its own kind of pain for you as you wait for the shorter sermon that always seems to go longer. But I just want to share real quickly together four things that that I think can help us Um, And the first one is just that I don't have all the answers. I do not have all the answers. He wanted to know in those moments where I felt like I had lost everything, why? And what for? And what next? And have everything all spelled out so that it was easy to understand, so that it was easy to process, so that it was easy easy to figure out what to do next and what to feel next. And, And that just isn't the case for many of us. There is no reason why this man who was four times the legal limit on alcohol should have even been able to start his car, let alone know how to get it down the road even a little while. He'd driven two miles from the bar where he more than likely got himself so drunk he could barely think straight. I don't know why we answer the phone call from the doctor and they say we have cancer. I don't know why our spouse decides that they can't be around us anymore and they have to leave. I don't know why our kid gets killed by 
by a train on the way home from school. I don't know why relationships are so difficult. I don't know why on down the list that you and I could go of why pain comes into our life. I don't have all the answers as to the reason why we work ourselves into the ground and they lay off the they lay you off and keep the slackers on. And I just told my uncle that morning as we drove home together, I don't know why this happened. And can I tell you, 18 years later, I still don't have all the answers. But I can remember in those early days wanting to know, being desperate to understand why this had been allowed to happen or why it had been caused to happen, however it plays out, however you want to look at it or think about it or or if you want to blame God or blame the devil or blame sin or blame happenstance, however it is that you process all those, I was not able to figure it out. And for many of us this morning, you're not going to be able to figure it out either. And I told my uncle that morning that I couldn't explain this away. There wasn't a justification for why this had happened the way it had. All I could say is that I am here. And I don't have all the answers. Paul talked about this quandary that we're in in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, reading it in the message so it'll sound a little bit different. But it says, we do not yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God does, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. It's not the best way to start out a sermon or maybe a conversation with a family member who's asking you for answers to tell them that you don't have them. (laughs) But it's the honest truth. We're not always going to have all the reasons why. The doctors aren't always going to have a cure. There's not always going to be that message from heaven that God gives you to tell someone that takes all of their pain away because you and I know in our own life, that's just not the way life works. God gives us enough grace to take one step in front of the other. Even though we don't have it all figured out. I knew that God wanted me to go forward. And so the first thing that I said to my Uncle John was, I don't have all the answers, but I know that I'm here for a reason, and so I'm going to keep on living as I listen to God along the way. So the next thing that I was thinking about in my mind as I tried to work through this conversation with my uncle was the second thing you see on the screen, that, that Jesus is our comfort. The implication that my uncle gave was that, that he felt like I would have to go through all of this pain and trauma alone. That he would have to go through all of this experience all on his own with no one to help him. And if there is a God, he just deserved all the blame for what had happened. But I shared with my uncle that morning a verse that you and I know very well. When Jesus talks to his friends, he talks to you and I. And he says, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will provide rest for your souls. And 
And I told my uncle that morning, I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. And he calls out to me by name. And he invites me into a relationship with him. He invites me into this place of rest that he invited those disciples in, in that verse that I just quoted for you. And there is a peace in Jesus that the world could never understand. And I looked him in the eye as he took his eyes off the road for a moment, and we did survive that experience. And I just told him that I have a peace that I cannot understand. I have a rest in God, even though I don't understand all of this. I don't understand any of it. I know that God has me and that he's in charge. And that's all right now that I need to know. And that's the only answer that I need to have. I was talking with my grandpa, who was still alive at the time, um, about this conversation later because he was closer to my Uncle John than anyone else in the family, probably even than his wife because they were beginning in stages of getting a divorce. And they would, um, Uncle John would just call Grandpa George out of nowhere to go fishing. And he's like, hey, you want to go get away for the weekend? I just, I can't take this anymore. I just need to get away. And I, you know, my grandpa accepted Christ right before he died, I think the night before he passed away, and I'm grateful for that. But he wasn't a spiritual person that I ever saw. I wasn't a religious man. Um, but I was telling him about this sudden fishing trip that we had, and, and he's like, well, what was that about? And I explained what I've explained to you so far about our conversation that we had. And uh, Grandpa said to me, one of the most profound things I ever heard him say, besides get back to work, was he's looking for a place of rest. And he thinks that the lake is a place where everything can be at peace. It's funny that the last trip together they had their, their engine broke down, their boat had a leak, and everything fell apart, and he told my grandpa it was one of the worst weekends of his life. <laughs> and sometimes the places and the people that we go to to find rest and peace let us down, but do you know that Jesus never will? He never will. And I told him that even in these moments where I feel like I'm alone, when I feel like no one has an answer or a resolution to this, that I can go to God, and he's there for me, and he understands exactly what I'm going through. Sometimes we sit in a pew on Sunday morning with a grief or physical pain or emotional trauma in our life that is so raw and it is so real that it's very difficult for us to tell anyone else about it. Have you ever been there? I think that it's intrinsic in us. God designed us with the, with the need for communion with a need for fellowship. And I think there's barriers that you and I have in our life. Um, they may be placed there by God as a caution. They may be um, distractions to us, but, but we're afraid what someone else might think of us if we told them what we're going through. We might, after reading the book of Job a few times, be afraid that it'll get thrown back in our face <laughs> if we tell them what's going on. I think many of us have told ourselves they would never understand really what I'm going through, so why even bother? And there's a whole host of reasons why sometimes it's not the right moment or not the right time, or we choose of our own accord to hold all of this deep inside our own heart. And the fact of the matter is, I told my uncle this morning that I have someone who is always there for me. 
I never question his loyalty or his friendship. He never falls asleep at me, uh, on me when I'm talking to him, although I do sometimes to him. He was always listening, and he's always understanding, and he always seems to know exactly what I need before I even need it. So I shared with my uncle that for a while, I couldn't talk to anyone about anything at any time. I couldn't trust anyone to let them into my hurt, into my dark place, into that part of me that was hurting the most and needed someone the most. I kept everyone away. I was scared, alone, angry, confused. But I think the worst of those emotions was this feeling of being alone. Until I realized the third thing that I shared with my uncle on the way home from Detroit Lake is that God is doing far more than we know. God is doing far more than we know. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul wrote probably my favorite verse. And he's kind of almost an exhortation, kind of a prayer. He says, um, he prays to God and he says, to God, who is able to do much more than you could ever ask or imagine. He's able to do much more than we could ever ask or imagine. Now, that's easy for me to say, you know, after the fact. Is it easy for us to say in the middle of our pain, the middle of our hurt, the middle of everything that we're going through? Because most of the time, we're kind of like, if you were here last Sunday, remember how Elisha's servant Gehazi wakes up and the army surrounded them and, and what are we going to do? And it's all over and, and we're goners. He had a limited view of the situation and the hurt and the fear that he had until God opened his eyes to what he was really doing, to the big picture of what was going on around him. And there are times in our pain, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual, where we're kind of like the elk that I saw in the mountains of Oregon years ago. He found a mud pit in the middle of a rainforest. Imagine that. Actually, there was a lot of them. But it was a hot, sunny day, but the water was still pooled in places, and, and he just got in that mud pit, and he wallowed, and he wallowed, and he wallowed, and he'd get up and shake it all off, and he wallowed and wallowed again, and, and, and the more that he wallowed, the deeper the pit got until he almost couldn't get out. It was all that he could do to bring himself to get out of that pit. And sometimes in the middle of our hurt and pain, we just wallow in our own misery. We get trapped in our discouragement. We get trapped in our depression. We get trapped in our circumstances, and we forget the fact that God is a, is a big God. And that's one of the reasons I preached last Sunday's message last Sunday. So that as we work through this journey together to realize in the middle of our agony, whatever that agony is for us, that we need to ask God to open our eyes to the largeness of who He is to the magnitude of his love and his glory and his goodness in our life. Because so much of the time we wake up in the morning and we see the army that has surrounded us and it's very hard for us to see the army of God that has surrounded our enemy. May the Lord continue to help us to open our eyes to the goodness of who he is all around us. And I don't know how God does that for you. 
For me, sometimes it's a song. I turn on the radio and, and God knew the right song to play and, and he opens my eyes to the fact that he's a good, good father. And he will always be good. Maybe for you, you're, you're a poet and you don't even know it. Maybe you do. And poetry for you is a place that you go to look for prose that touches your heart and, and, and the rhythm and the words together speak to you and draw you closer to God. Maybe you have a favorite pastor or sermon series that you listen to. Maybe it's just a quiet time with God where everything else gets shut out and you're able to be still and know that he is God. The fact of the matter is, in, in, the, in the darkness of the moment, the last thing that we want to hear is that God is going to use this for your good. But the truth of the matter is, that is fact, Scripture, truth. He's able to use it for good if we let him. He's able to use it for good if we'll let him. Those are those moments in our life in the middle of the hurt that we feel. It's waking up in the middle of the night and that pain that will not go away in your back or your neck or your leg or that pain that you feel in the middle of the night when you miss the person that you've lost or the fear that you have in your life that your job may not be there next week. Whatever that is, it has to be a decision that you and I make. And I've said this since I came here. That so much of what we do in the Christian life is not about a bolt from heaven. It is not about the pastor slapping you around or, or doing anything. It is about you and I allowing God to open our eyes to the opportunity that we have to make a decision to trust him more, to believe in him, to follow him with all that we are. Didn't share this last week about the about the prayer that Elisha played for Gehazi, but what if Gehazi didn't want his eyes opened? I mean, the fact of the matter is that Gehazi could have already been running away from the situation. He could have run down the mountain, hid in the cave, and tried to preserve at least someone's life. He could have shut himself in the closet. He could have gone for a horse ride, although there really wasn't anywhere to go too far that had been safe. He could have done a whole lot of things, but stand in the middle of that moment and wait for God to do what only God could do. But that's what they did, or the story would have gone differently. Elisha and Gehazi stood in that moment and asked God to do for them what they could never do for themselves, and God did what he always does, exactly what he needs to do. Exactly what he needs to do for you and I. So can we pray for each other that we have the courage to stand in the middle of our storm, in the middle of our moments, even though we don't have all the answers. We may not have any answers. But we know that Jesus is the one who provides comfort and mercy for us in this moment. And then just begin to realize and understanding that there's a bigger picture here than, than exactly what I'm going through. It was one of the first moments for me on this ride with my Uncle John to realize that this wasn't only about the tragedy that I was a part of. Now God was using something that I had been at least allowed to go through to be there for someone else who was hurting. It's not something I was ready for two weeks before that. 
God knew the right time to invite me on a fishing trip. And it wasn't prior to that moment. But as God opens our eyes to a bigger picture than our own little circle of what's going on that's causing us so much trauma or pain, is the realization that God is able to do so much more than we think he can. With us, with our brokenness, with our hurt, with our pain, he still has a plan and a purpose for us to continue to walk and journey together with him. And this may seem trite, this fourth and last idea, but it was implied in in my Uncle John's question that, that pain is wrong, and it's all God's fault, and I just can't trust a God who would do that. There's a different sermon to deal with that whole conversation in a different way. But I just, I think it's good for us to, to be okay to, to be in pain. It's, it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to feel like everything's falling away. You read the Psalms. God didn't say, you know what, that guy was out of his mind. Don't put those in there. Shut, you know, don't put the Psalms in there because... I can't handle that kind of emotion. Most people, when they're asking someone or asking me where they can go in the Scriptures for comfort or for help, do you know where I send you? I'm going to say it a little meanly. I'm going to send send you to the basket cases of Scripture. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm saying the people who laid it all out there who weren't afraid of their feelings, who weren't afraid to express the things that they were going through, who weren't afraid to cry out to God and tell them how they felt. Lay it all out there so that God could deal with them in an honest and complete way. I was reading the book this weekend just kind of as a side to thinking about how to share this story this morning. Um, It's a book called Where Is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey. First published in 1979, and then uh, more recently updated as more research has come. Really great read. I'm not done with it yet. Uh, I'd encourage you to pick it up. It's just practical and helpful in so many ways. Um, but I'm going to kind of close um, before I share a couple of scriptures and we have communion together uh, with uh, to share with you the discovery of a man that he introduces in his book. Became a good friend. They actually co-authored a couple of books together, Got Dr. Paul Brand. And Dr. Brand um, became renowned for his study and research of, of pain. You could call him the pain doctor. You could call him the pain expert. It was his pursuit to study pain and how it affects the body and how to deal with it. And, and as he kind of worked through his career, uh, he, he kind of discovered or felt led to or ended up um, working with people in a, in, a, in a leper colony. And I don't know about your understanding of leprosy, but uh, we read it in the Bible, it, 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 it sounds like some horrible, terrible disease where you have infections and you're unclean and no one wants anything to do with you. And, and it was enlightening for me to read Dr. Brand's discoveries. And what he found out, and you may already know this, but I, it, for me it was kind of eye-opening, is that most of the problems that people with leprosy has, they have them because they're unable to feel pain. The disease attacks their nervous system in such a way that they would go to put their hand on the burner of the stove, and unless they saw their skin burning, they'd have no idea that their hand was being scorched. And because they had no idea that their hand was being scorched, 
they would go to the store and they would go to the mall and they'd go about their day and then two days later, they had this terrible infection. There's a story about a man in the book who had problems with his feet. And remember, he can't feel anything. And so he would go and, and, and he, he would walk in such a contorted way because he you know how he's walking that his toes started to get damaged. And eventually, he lost his toes. But it was so bad that he still lacked the ability to feel any kind of pain that it just kind of worked his way up his body until this man met him and he was walking on his knees. Not because of some horrific disease that was eating away at his flesh, but that he had no way of his body telling him to be careful, to change the way you're walking or go to the doctor. There was no inner compass for his body to know that something was wrong. And he said, I had this thought in my mind that for so many people in the world, pain is God's big mistake. Pain is the mess up that God should have fixed before he said everything was good. And we can argue later about the fact that pain most likely came from our fall. The fact of the matter is people want to blame it on God because, well, that's the easy way out. But he talked with the people in this colony, and they said, if I could do have one thing in life, I would give anything to feel pain. That just shocked me. I couldn't believe that. That would be, if I could do one thing in life, it would be to free myself from pain. And these people who watch it destroy them, literally destroy their bodies. Realize what many of us are do not, that God has placed something inside of us that feels and senses things because our world is not in order. We live in a fallen, broken world, and God creates this compass, this conscience, this realization of right and wrong and, and destiny that God has placed there so that when we feel pain, we do something about it. How many of you, if you woke up tomorrow morning with this searing pain down your right arm, um, would for probably three years just go, ah, oh, it's no big deal? What did God design pain for us for so we could find the cure? God gave us nerve endings in our body so that we could, if there was something wrong with us, that we would feel it and do something about it. I wonder if that's so far off emotionally and spiritually. Could that apply to you and I that God has designed us with a heart and a soul so that when things go wrong and things fall apart that we're just made more aware of our need for him? We're made more aware of the fact that we're in a fallen world and we need God more than ever before. And I read the story of this doctor who had given his life to the people who felt no pain. He got a multi-million dollar research grant to try to design these little patches for the most sensitive parts of your body. And then they tried it in the least sensitive parts of the body. And it didn't matter where they tried or how many millions of dollars they spent In his own words, he says, God is the only one who can give you the gift of pain. And I read that the first time, and I was like, I I couldn't have read that right. (laughs) There's no way that he just said that. So I read it again. And he says, only God could be the kind of God that would give us the gift of pain. 
And I said to myself this past week as I read that verse, I don't think I've ever thought of pain as a gift. I've thought of it as a curse. I thought of, thought as a pain in the neck, literally sometimes, a problem. All the negative connotations I could have or something I have to put up with or something that we all deal with because we live in this fallen, broken world, but a gift from God to make us more aware of him. I'm not saying that God creates pain to make us aware of his love. There's a part of our human nature, this awareness that things aren't as right as God designed them in the Garden of Eden draws us back to the one who came calling to Adam and Eve in the garden after they had taken the forbidden fruit. As they hid from him in their pain, asking, where are you? Where have you gone? I want you back. But things will never be the same. I just want to close before I have communion with a couple of scriptures real quickly. One of them I guess I probably should have started the sermon off with, but it's John chapter 16, Verse 33, it's a real positive message here. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, but in this world you will have trouble. Those are Jesus' words speaking to us. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be pain. There's going to be hurt. But then he said, take heart, I have overcome it all. I have overcome it all. And then from Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flames will not set you ablaze, because God is with us. Probably halfway home by now, at least in the van with my Uncle John. And like I already said in you, since I was not trying to convince him of the validity of God's existence, I was trying to share with him a hope that I had that was beyond myself. That I had someone who would be there for me when I didn't have the answers. To give me the comfort that no one else could comfort me with. To touch me in a way that no one else could touch me and that would give me a reason to go on from that fishing trip and to do other things for the Lord. Because he had more to do with me than I realized in the middle of that moment. That he had somewhere for me to go and something for me to do. And that it was okay when things didn't go the way that we planned. We're going to have communion now, and I'm going to ask the ushers to come, and Bev's going to play for us as we have it shared.